rewards for those who lead in obeying the Great Commission. And the question is, as we've been looking at this idea of uh, evangelism and the Great Commission, uh, why does the formula work? It's in harmony with our nature. The formula completely uh, transformed uh, these unmotivated disciples into those who were, um, would go forth in a mighty way into men who could not be stopped. When you think about this, why is it successful? Uh, why is this, when we begin to apply what the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us, why is it successful? Well, first of all, it gets our mind off of ourselves. It gets off our mind off of what other brethren think. It gets our mind off our problems, and it gets our mind off of the world. Here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it reads, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When you think about this, it's calling us to seek first God's kingdom. Now, what is the formula that we're going to be looking at? This formula, it transformed. Again, these apostles, it transformed their lives. They were unmotivated. They were cowardly, and they ran away, obviously, in Christ's greatest time of distress and persecution. But yet, after his resurrection, these disciples were radically transformed, most giving their life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this formula, as the author explains, he says it transforms, and it's found in three words, from here in Matthew 6, 33. One of the first commandments that he gives us, says, but seek ye first. And we find here, so the first is to seek, and then he would say, you know, and his righteousness and all these things should be added into, and then later, the Lord Jesus Christ, even there in the garden, he would teach them to pray daily, as you would have there in the oftentimes quoted Lord's Prayer. And then in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to look for his kingdom. Now, here's the thing. When we have problems in our life and we don't know what to do, number one, we need to seek first God's kingdom. As it tells us, but seek ye first and his righteousness. I need to seek his will. If we're having a hard time, maybe with some things in our life, physical problems, the, the thing is that he's telling us, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and then also lift up our ear and pray. I'd like you to go with me here to Psalm 18. <clears throat> I love this. I was just reading this this morning and it's so uh, encouraged and, and blessed my heart. In verse, well, let's, verses 1 through 3, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Psalm 18, 3, 2, excuse me. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower, I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. And, and you can read in there, he tells, talks about verse 4, the sorrows of death compass me, the sorrows of hell compass me, verse 5. And David is in a very hard place. And God is calling us, he says, pray. We need to look to our place of eternal glory, and if I suffer with him, I will reign with him, as we have spoken about the millennial reign of Christ. 
Do I need a, maybe a fresh anointing, a fresh uh, repurposing, a refreshment of my calling, of what God wants me to do and He wants you to do? And so, in regards to this, not, not only you seek first, but you pr- pray, but number three is John thirteen 12. Let's look at this. We'll remember this, these truths here in John thirteen twelve. In John 13, 12, <clears throat> so after he had washed their feet and had taken his garment and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? And then because you call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also, also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And he talks about the servant greater than, you know, the <laughs> servant... Uh, verse 16, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So we find just the humility of Christ. And I want to look forward to that day when he comes back, as we have discussed uh, there in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus, I'm looking for him, what he's done. And seek to pray and to look. And these are what we're going to look at today, three major words that would transform these early Christians And may these words transform us as well. Psalm 18 passage, as I was reading my Bible this morning and and doing my devotions, and just thinking about the fact that, and it was even resonating even earlier in uh, Psalm 18.3, about my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my strength. And you think about all that God is for us. And putting God back into the proper perspective so the first step in self-motivation is a step that you know many do not learn. God uses, you know, and God will use this step to help us as believers. And the wording of something similar in this wording is repeated over and over again throughout the Bible. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 14, the just shall walk by faith. And it is also in Hebrews eleven twelve. for by it the elders obtain a good report. They, by faith, these elders. In Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, over and over and over again, there is an emphasis upon faith, upon even with respect to Abraham. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. And so on and so forth. And there is a faith of these elders, these, those who are believers, And the first lesson that Jesus gives to his disciples with a primary purpose here is he tells them to follow him and he'll make them fishers of men, as we find in the scriptures. And then Luke, and so Matthew really kind of emphasizes that. Luke speaks more directly and said, henceforth you will catch men. And so God's desire for our lives, as it was for the apostles, is that we win souls and and, and are reaching and planting. And sometimes it takes some time for that. But in order for us to learn of our vocation and be successful in fulfilling God's will and purpose for our lives, we've got to learn to trust. And a part of this trust, well, all of this part of trust, is to seek Him. And that was the very key, even as I was reading there in Psalm 18, this idea of I'm coming to God and I'm seeking Him. I'm seeking Him in some of the hardest times of my life. And rather than trying to find my own way out of the hole, I'm seeking Him. When Jesus Christ was training His converts, He gave them a conditional promise. And it is in this word, seek, 
and his righteousness. It says, seek first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So the question for our motivation, number one, is to seek. And he gives them an awesome promise. God gives us a promise here. He gives a command, but with the command and obedience to that command, there is rewards. And he promises that he'll personally supply everything that we need to be successful if we seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the seeking first of the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his will for our lives, it is appropriated when I, instead of thinking about the immediate necessities of this life, I'm drawn back to the principle and the truth and the application in my life of seeking him and his desires for my life. You know, earlier in this chapter, in chapter 6, he talks about, in verse 26, behold, behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? And so it talks about that God provides for the necessities of the birds and the animals, even the flowers. And so God's desire is, <clears throat> you think about the scriptures and over and over again, uh, this idea and this truth, the fact that God as a loving Father watches out for His children, but He wants us to seek Him. One can capture the promise by placing the word seek into our mind and our soul. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is not just a nice, pithy little uh, verse to memorize. This sounds good, and it's, you know, it's one of those classical uh, verses that is oftentimes memorized. But God, sometimes God may even bring us to the places you think about like Elijah. He'd bring him to the brook. And he would have to feed him there with a raven. God still supplied. It wasn't abundantly. It wasn't magnificently. It wasn't in grandeur. But yet God provided for Elijah. And then, you know, as you think about this, <clears throat> Elijah eventually moved forth from this. God would also build the faith of his disciples as he would see them feed the 5,000, the 3,000, and so forth. You know, and you think even also that Jesus Christ, he would build his disciples up as they were there on the sea, and the waves were roaring, and, and you know, they're all afraid, they're scared of what is going on. There's trials and hardships of life all around, the waves are just crashing on that boat, and Jesus is asleep, and Jesus comes up to the, you know, the top of the boat and tells the storm, peace, be still, and the sea is calmed. God shows us, God sometimes, many times, will bring us into, uh, allow us to enter into those wave storms of life. That we could seek first His kingdom and kind of realign our outlook and focus for life. And the same promise is made to us today by the immutable, unchanging God of heaven who cannot lie, and he takes an oath on his honor that he will not lie. And so the one word in our mind is regardless of any stress, problem, or circumstances is the word seek. And so my testimony, as you think about in my own personal life, as back in 2007, I made a surrender to honor the Lord and to go into ministry and serve the Lord with my life. And since that time, I have always seen God provide, not always to abundance. Many times, 
you know, working other jobs, but God's always provided what I needed. And as we obey and practice God's command to seek first his kingdom. Now, in Matthew 6.33, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God's desire for our lives. Let's look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1, if you have your Bible this morning. Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 1. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Jesus answers their request. Look with me, verse 2. Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Two, Luke eleven two, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. So it's not a suggestion. He says, When ye pray. So Jesus is telling us that we ought to pray. And it is more than just a cursory prayer over a meal. Lord, please bless this meal to our bodies. He gives us a model. Now, he gives us kind of a, uh, you know, how do you you know that he commanded them to pray a model prayer? Because the third thing, one, the daily prayer list, was the command to ask for their daily bread. How could one, you know, ask for their daily bread if they didn't pray every day, right? They were humbly to come before God. And that's, as we think about this, you know, he's asking us to pray for our daily bread, our daily provision. And here in North America, here in Canada, we have so much provision that we don't pray, and I don't pray, for God's daily provision for what I need. Because we are so self-sufficient in and of ourselves. We believe we have, it's our money, we have a house, We have most things that we need. Why would I pray to God for what I already have? And God is telling us, and Christ is telling us, humbly come before him, address the great God of the universe as my Father, and give us a prayer list to follow. So the first thing he says, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. So again, he's realigning our thoughts and our focus to the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus will come back to earth someday, and we will be with him. So he's telling us in an explicit way, the first thing is the coming kingdom. You know what? Whatever's going on in this world, it is only temporary. Because in eternity, I will be with Christ, and you'll be with Christ if you know him as your personal Savior. The second thing on this list here is praying concerning God's will for our lives. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. And as you think upon that, you know what? I ought to be praying daily, God, what is your will for me today? And the third thing, He tells us our daily provision, and the list goes on. This prayer 
is an acknowledgement. It is more than just some cursory prayer. I remember uh, my wife and I, we were on this cruise some years ago, and uh, there was an event that happened, and <laughs> someone stood up and said, let's pray the sinners, let's pray the Lord's Prayer, and they begin to sing, pray this. But, <laughs> you know, it was kind of just a ritualistic thing that someone did. They were going about the motions of religion, seemingly for many. I, I mean, I don't know people's hearts. But Jesus is telling us, listen, I'm acknowledging him and I'm praying to him. And in this prayer, I'm seeking him. So I'm seeking first. I'm praying. I'm praying to God in heaven, but also with an acknowledgement that, you know what, whatever I do now, there's coming an eternity. There's coming a time when even as a believer, all of my actions, I'm going to have to answer to Christ for how I behave and how I live this life. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Lord, I need your will for my life. Lord, I, I need my daily bread. God, I need what you only can give me. And do you know what? The provision of the food that you have, it could very easily be taken from us. And then there's a fact that we ought to learn that God wants to work everything out for our good. And I'm called to share in His eternal glory. Loving parents are not to work only for the success of their little child's benefit in kindergarten. I'm not working for my daughter just to learn her ABCs and give up because she's learned her ABCs. The goal of a parent is to train a child so they can live a successful, godly, rewarding life. I am concerned about my daughter. You know, I want her to learn her ABCs. <laughs> As we were driving back from our holiday, and uh, we have this little app on her tablet, and she was doing her ABCs and sketching them and, on this little app. And, you know, uh, she would... <laughs> She kept on skipping out, you know, she'd be like A, B, C, and then we're all like, she's on like V, right? She goes to V or W, and you're like, wait a second, whoa, 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 you got to start that over. You can't be skipping this. You, you need to go through all the ABCs. You need to learn them. You can't be jumping around. And so she's learning the game and, and uh, that. But nevertheless, you know, our goal is that you can't skip steps. I want to guide her. So she'll have a successful lifetime for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, you know, our life now, if you can think about, really is the kindergarten phase of our, of our eternal lives. Some things may seem bad and, you know, and happen in kindergarten. You know what? Someone may look at you wrong in kindergarten and, man, your day is, you feel like your day is ruined. Someone took your snack. Someone took your favorite toy and you're upset, you're mad, or so-and-so, your closest friend is now hanging out with another person and, and they're not hanging out with you anymore and, and you're hurt by that. You know what? God allows certain things in our life for my eternal good. Look with me at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. <coughs> Excuse me. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. In this verse here, 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, 
worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He says, he calls it a light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The afflictions, troubles, and problems of our life, it is really but a moment. And they are worked and used to design, and you know, even potentially designed for my good. You're like, Pastor, <laughs> if you knew what I had to go through, you wouldn't say it's for my good. Do you realize all that I've had to go through? Do you know what this person did to me or that person or whomever did to me? God, it is not for my good. But I want you to consider 70, say you have 70 years of life, 80 years, I don't know, 50, 60, however long you live. Think about 80 years, say someone lives to 80 years old. 80 years in light of a trillion years. And that is just the start of eternity. It's, I mean, if you were to take 80 years as a fraction of a trillion it is a very, very, very small fraction. And God's desire in this prayer and seeking of His kingdom and understanding that it's a light affliction. You said, but you don't know what it's done to me. You don't know the hurt and the pain that I'm living with on a daily basis. That's why God says, seek first the kingdom of God. The Bible is not just some academic religious knowledge to put into your head as a philosophical way to live life. It is a book by which we are to live our life. It is not a suggestion. He's telling us, here's how you are to live your life. And here's how I will help you. And I will be with you. And I will encourage you. And I will strengthen you. Because this, in this prayer, as we think about this, it's designed to lift our minds off of my problems and my difficulties to focus on the fact that in the coming 1,000-year literal reign of the Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth, at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will rule and reign. And as we've been faithful to Him, we'll rule and reign with Him. So we are to pray, Thy kingdom come. It gets our minds off of this perishing world. And and I do reflect over these past several years that have been unbelievably trying, challenging, difficult, frustrating, aggravating, in all the different things that have transpired here in Canada and around the world, it has been a stretching time. But as I think upon this fact, you know, we can think we can get easily get into self-pity. He's saying, listen, when we get into the self-pity, it doesn't help us. I'm thinking about when Jesus is coming back. I'm thinking about the fact that I want to do God's will for my life. You know what? We can fall into the pit of the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of, of this life and the cares of this life. And, but it's not going to help me. As I allow self-pity and self-focus, and rather than on God's will for my life and faithfulness to Him and His will for my life, what I'm doing when I focus upon myself is I'm telling God, God, I want my 50-cent candy now so I can't have my ruling reigning with you in the, in the millennial kingdom. 
Because he tells us in the scriptures, you'll rule and reign with him. But it's based upon your faithfulness. We squander many times, you know. It's, there's a story I, I'd given uh, a couple months back about a young boy. His dad would give him, you know, money once a week for, you know, his chores. And if he saved his money up, and the little boy said rather than buying candy with his, you know, allowance, he would buy a bike. Now, it wasn't very much, but his dad helped him. But the boy thought, hey, if I save this, I can get something better. So much times we're looking immediately, give me this. It's kind of like Jacob and Esau. Jacob says, give me the pottage. Or excuse me, Esau says, give me the pottage. And, and Jacob gave it to him. But he gave up his birthright to get an immediately a bowl of soup or some sort of, uh, of, of food because he felt like he was so famished he needed it now. Praying this prayer in, in the the heart of it had a tremendous effect in fanning fires of revival in the first great awakening. You find this several of the men during that great awakening, the first great awakening. And the real purpose for praying is the fact that I'm praying thy kingdom come every day. In order to fully appreciate the purpose and benefit for praying the model prayer, or this, in this heart, I'm praying for God's will, I'm praying for his kingdom, I'm praying for his will, I'm praying uh, for my daily bread, I'm praying for the, for, you know, I, that I would forgive others and go on and so forth here in this prayer. I need to understand the reason the commandment was given. As a, I remember as a young believer, and I think about the apostles, I'm thinking, wow. I mean, they're guys that are so far up there. You think about the apostles, the Lord Jesus Christ, as some stellar, almost superstars, if you would. But if you look at the Scriptures and you look at their lives, Peter was a man that many times spoke before he thought about what he was doing. And you would find others in Thomas, uh, who was a doubter. I mean, he, Thomas was one of those guys, show me the science! These were also men that were scared, they were faithless, and they were unmotivated. So they needed to endure some great temptation, great pressure. You know, they're there during a time when everyone's talking about Jesus Christ, and the Jewish leaders decided that they were going to capture Jesus. They'd give him some sort of trial, a mock trial, but it was a, scam, a sham, and then they would crucify him. The apostles would know of the plot and they thought their world and ministry would end when it appeared, when it happened. They'd given their full time. I mean, they'd left their fishing. Matthew had left his tax collecting. Uh, they had left you know, their careers to serve Jesus for three and a half years, three, three and a half years. They followed Jesus, giving all their time and energy. Peter was married. It talks about that. He had a mother-in-law. And so Peter was married, and, and so in this ministry, they're giving their lives to learn from Jesus. They also wanted to know what they'd receive. God, we've given much. What are we going to receive for it? What is the compensation? What is our wages? I want you to look with me in uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 22, and Jesus will answer, Peter you know, what they'd be paid or rewarded for fully giving themselves to the Lord. Luke twenty two twenty nine. <clears throat> Luke chapter 22, verse 29. 
<coughs> Excuse me. Luke chapter 22, verse 29. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The apostles will sit and they'll judge the twelve tribes of Israel. They will be uh, those with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, this was in Luke chapter 22, 29 and 30. So Jesus calmly answers Peter's request. You know, which of them should be accounted the greatest? Think about this. Eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Again, there's a future focus. The reward is twofold. Number one, they'd become a king who'd sit on a throne over the one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So they will become, these 12 disciples, 11, you didn't have Judas there, but, uh, and then obviously they bring another one in. But you think about this, these 12 apostles, they went from hardworking common laborers who have now entered into time immemorial in history. You know, they could have been a commercial fisherman. They weren't some high scholastic, uh, you know, professor in a prestigious university of that time. These are common everyday fishermen, tax collectors, everyday men that are now have the opportunity to sit in God's kingdom. Number two, the second thing about this is that he would have a regular place at the dinner table of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for the full thousand years. Think about Abraham, Daniel, Elijah, and others. They can entertain with the apostles. Jesus is teaching these believers for a thousand years will rule and reign with him. Do you understand, begin to get some idea of why he's praying, telling us to pray, thy kingdom come? It was to keep your mind, my mind, and their minds on the great promise that God is going to give us in the thousand-year reign of Christ. The devil and the world could not stop them. They would simply pray, thy kingdom come. Oh, and you think about praise the Lord. If he, gives, if he came today, would I get my throne? Would I get my ability to rule and reign with him in the capacity that he designates? Think about this, our faithfulness to him. Getting a place at his table. Having my seat at Jesus' table. If I suffer with him, I'll reign with him. If I get killed, obeying the Great Commission, trying to get the gospel out, we get the martyr's crown. And Jesus is working together all things for his eternal good. It's a light affliction with an increase for my eternal rewards. And so Jesus is telling them, pray. So the first thing he says is, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. Number two, I want you to pray. Seek the kingdom, pray for the kingdom to come, and look for the kingdom. Number three here, self-metal, let's try that again. The third thing, the final word, seek, pray, and look. Final motivation is to look. I want you to look with me at John 14. It's a beautiful scene. Lord Jesus Christ has just had the Passover supper with his disciples and broken bread with them and given them a, a memorial thing that we still celebrate today in communion. And in John chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, verse 3 of John 14. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. He says, I will come again. Jesus is coming again. Look with me at Acts chapter 1. So this is before he's crucified. He tells them this. They're kind of going from the Last Supper. Uh, they've walked, and they're on their walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. So they've gone from this place of the Garden, excuse me, of the, of the Last Supper with the, belie- the disciples, the 12 apostles. Uh, Judas leaves, obviously, to betray Jesus. And they walk down uh, out of the upper room, and, and they begin to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus gives them the words of encouragement, knowing that in just a short time, all of his disciples will desert him, and he'll be lonely, and he'll be by himself. Can you think about that? I mean, just the thought of, you know, you're going to give your life for them and for the entire world only to have your closest friends and confidants totally desert you in your hour of greatest need. And yet Jesus still went to that cross because he says, I love you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Forty days later, after the events, the disciples, after Jesus dies, forty days later, they look up and Jesus ascends into heaven, waiting for the time that he'll come back in the rapture. Jesus had taught the disciples on the mount about his second coming. He would say in Luke chapter 12, verse 40, Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. The disciples are looking for Jesus. The reason that since Jesus had created the whole world and everything in it in six days, and building a few little old mansions was nothing. And here is Jesus telling us there as we looked in <clears throat> John, He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. An eternal mansion. I don't need to worry about paying taxes. I don't need to worry about upkeep. It's already taken care of. And what would happen? Look with me. This, these, what Jesus did, His resurrection, ascension into heaven, it would fan the fires in the apostles' heart of a zeal and a purity for Christ. Look with me at the book of 1 John. 1 John. 1 2 Peter, 1 2 3 John. 1 John, right back there, close to Revelation. 1 John chapter 3, and it's telling us here really of a desire of seeing that Jesus is coming again. Thy kingdom come. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is is pure. He's saying, listen, thy kingdom come, Jesus is coming back. He says, listen, because Jesus is coming back, you're going to want to purify your life. You're going to want to have a holy life. Titus chapter 2 teaches us this. Looking for that blessed hope. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I want you to look with me at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. I just read verses 13 and 14, but look, I'll bring you here. Titus chapter 2, 
verses 11 and 12. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. When I get to see Jesus someday, in all of His holiness and purity and beauty and glory and peace and comfort, I get to see Him in all of His glory. Have you ever had someone that you're eagerly waiting to see? Someone says, I'm coming to see you, and this is someone you dearly, dearly love. I mean, you get your house ready, you get however you do so. I mean, if if it's someone you haven't seen for a long time, maybe you'll have their favorite meal, their favorite dessert, their favorite beverage. You're going to get your place ready for this person whom you dearly love. And in that idea or in that application, when I look for Jesus, look with me at Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. As obviously, as Jesus brought his grace, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And then he tells us, looking for that blessed hope, and the verse goes on. But he tells us in verse 14, purifying to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So in all of this, if a person will seek first the kingdom of God, pray for the kingdom, look for the kingdom, we can have a powerful life. And we can have a good day at the, you know, it'll be a hard day at the judgment seat of Christ. But you know what? If I'm seeking, praying, and looking, When I come to the judgment seat of Christ, I will have what I need. And I can be pleasing, and I can hear Jesus Christ say, well done. In conclusion, God wants me to live a positive life of faith so He can do great things through you and through me. Maybe we'll pray, I will obey His commands to seek first His kingdom, to pray daily for His kingdom and look continually for His kingdom. You know what God's admonition is? Be all that you can be by the grace of God. You have a purpose. You have a place on this earth. God wants to do something great in your life. And how you fulfill that purpose will direct where and how you live in the thousand year reign on this earth and throughout eternity. When a person becomes a Christian, they're born again. You're a child of God. You're no longer the boss of your life. I yield my rights to the Lord Jesus Christ. My new vocation is the Great Commission. When I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I am no longer headed to hell. I don't have to go there. I'm rescued from that. And I get to have, not only that's a, a byproduct that I don't have the judgment of God to go to hell, but first of all, I get to have a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Creator of this world. And I get to know Him and have the peace of God. And you know, and you might be saying, well, I'd sure like the peace in my life. I'd like to have some rest. God is looking to us and you know, He says, listen, I want to help you. You think about a number of people in the Bible, Joseph and others, Job went through incredible hardships and trials. But in those trials, some in the Bible did well, some did not do so well. And we find that everything that is healthy will produce after its kind. A cattle produces cattle, you know, and um, 
you know, in marriage produces children. In the spiritual realm also. If I am living for the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be byproducts. There will be fruit, if you would, as the Scriptures. The Bible declares that the fruit or the byproduct of the righteous or saved is a tree of life producing life to others. He that winneth souls is wise. Our vocation for the Lord Jesus Christ is winning souls. And it also talks about you know, loving the brethren and caring for others. But these lessons, as we have gone through, will reveal our vocation as a Christian. But it also enables us to overcome our fear and be able to confidently share our faith with both family, friends, and others. And I trust, as you think about this, this is to seek, to pray, and to look. And if I can maintain that proper perspective, it really does help with all the peripheral things of life, as, as major as they may seem. I mean, as to a, little bit, to a little kid, like in kindergarten, right? If they get a little splinter in their finger, that is like the most important thing. They have some pain that is so uh, altering of their world at that particular moment. And you're thinking, as an adult, you're thinking, well, it's just a splinter, right? We'll get it out. You'll be okay. The pain will go away. You know, and God may look at us and say, listen, you're going through a hard time right now. But in light of eternity, I will help you. And so, if you think about these truths, seek, pray, and look. And there are great things, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what? I want God to help us. And so, let's uh, go, Lord, and pray, and then we'll prepare for the 11 o'clock hour. And uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 for that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, I thank you for your wonderful kindness. Lord, I pray that you would just draw us closer to yourself. Lord, I do I pray that, first of all, uh, that I would seek you. Lord, pray, understanding thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And Father, really just pondering upon uh, the truths, the principles, and Father, to practically apply what you've so freely given to us. And Lord, may we look for the kingdom to come. Lord, I pray that you'd stir within us a desire want to be pleasing to you. Lord, a desire to hear well done. And Father, if someone is just whatever they may be going through, Lord, I pray that you'd help them this morning. And Lord, in the morning hour, if somebody does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they call out to you to be gloriously saved. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for your wondrous grace. In Jesus' precious name I pray.